everyone, and welcome to the Disney Film Project Podcast. This is yet another Disney podcast, because there aren't enough in the world. Uh, this podcast, however, is focused on the latest, greatest from Disney films, all the way back to the oldest and grayest. Whatever there is that Disney may have produced and filmed entertainment, we will eventually cover it all here on this show. I am your host, Ryan Kilpatrick, owner, proprietor, blogger of Disney Film Project, located at DisneyFilmProject.com. My co-host, two of the finest film buffs ever, and I mean that ever. Uh, the first film buff on our list, Mr. Todd Perlmutter, blogger for touringplans.com, all around Disney tech support master for div- Disney driven life.com, and an all around swell guy. How are you, Todd? Hang it in there. We had a great lunch. Um, we met with some friends this afternoon, um, Betsy and uh, Cliff, and a couple of other new people who I don't remember their name. Sarah, wait, Sarah. Uh, it was Betsy's mom's birthday, it was Sarah's birthday. Um, and that's it, right, Cheryl? She's not there. Okay. Yeah, she's not. She's not listening to you. So situation normal then. Yeah. Um, it's okay. Yeah, Bet, Betsy and Cliff, great folks. Way to go. I don't know the other people either, so you know I can't really comment on that. Uh, our other co-host with us tonight, the one and only Miss Brianna Alessio, a renowned blogger at the Adventures of Brie at adventuresofbrie.blogspot.com. If you have not been reading about her trip report, it's epic. You should go read it. Uh, all around film lover as well. Welcome, Brie. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you? I'm well. well. Did you uh, you DVR Meet Me in St. Louis like I asked you last night? I did. I cannot wait to watch it. You need to. It's it's my third favorite Judy Garland movie. Yeah. Who does not love Judy Garland? Uh, Deranged people. I don't know. Exactly. Sure. Do you have a favorite Judy Garland movie, Todd? I mean, besides Wizard of Oz, that's kind of an unfair question. Oh, jeez. You know... Yeah, because that would be it. Um, and then yeah, well, that's everybody's that. favorite Judy Garland movie. Well, I would say that's probably not true. I mean, a lot of people actually don't like the movie, just like people like us tend to like the movie. <laughs> it's one of my favorite movies of all time, even though it's not the best adaptation of the actual story. Right, but it's it's an amazing movie, though. Yes, it is. Yes. Have you seen Meet Me in St. Louis? Um, no. Keep going. Okay. All right, I should have uh, should have asked Todd to DVR that movie too. Okay, we're gonna have to all tweet watch it. Same. There you go. Yeah. All right, so the the most important sh- part of our show, however, the lovely and talented Miss Cheryl Perlmutter, local Disney fan, internet superstar, and the reason why you can actually hear all of this because I cannot record and neither can Bree. I'm sure Todd probably could if he wanted to, but he's just frankly too lazy. Hello, Cheryl. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm well. So it sounds like you had a pleasant day, or or did Todd not describe things well? They were sold out of the Orange Bird Vinylations. Oh, I have to go to eBay. Ooh, oh. that's a that's a dangerous proposition. Yeah. Whew. Well, other than that, it was okay though, right? Yes. Okay, good. Glad to hear it. Oh, and we got oh movie theater wise, we got we got to a sneak peek at the new movie theater over at um, AMC, and those oh, little Coke machines—they're cool. Sweet. That's right. Nice. Automated Coke machines that are uh, self-service and uh, screen-driven, and you get to pick your sodas, and it's like all circles. It's pretty neat. Oh yeah, is that the one that's got like it's got like the seven hundred different flavors in it and everything? Yeah, all in one big red box. It's kind that, of like awesome. intimidating in that respect, but you can come out with like the soda. what's that, Brie? No, I was gonna say I don't even drink soda, but I would just to use that machine. <laughs> it it's a lot of choices. Yeah. I like seeing the I like seeing the, the like you said Todd the circles because you you can come out with like a you know orange vanilla sherbet coke or something. I'm not even really sure. I would have liked it better if they made it more like old fashioned bottle caps though. You know instead of just plain circles. You know. But Todd wanted it frozen coke. Yeah, it doesn't do frozen coke. That's a different machine. I was kind of disappointed. You were just hoping for all in the one machine and it would just I, freeze it automatically. And with cool, isn't that what everybody wants? It's the dream, yes, of course. With the Coke out of nowhere. Hey. All right, so speaking of Disney, as Bree said, we are we are actually here to talk about Disney films instead of Frozen Coke. I know, strange, but we will start the Frozen Coke podcast another day. Um, today, we are covering the 50th animated film from Walt Disney Animation Studios, which is Tangled which was uh, released over the Thanksgiving holiday. So I will give the spoiler warning. We're going to talk about what happens in the movie. So if you have not seen it, first of all, shame on you. Uh, Second, pause your iPod, iPhone, computer, 
abacus machine, whatever else you're listening on, and come back later after you've seen the movie because it's really one you need to see. Uh, so a little background on the movie, Tangled. It's basically the story of Rapunzel. It was actually originally called Rapunzel until uh, some Disney marketing whizzes were disappointed in the box office for Princess and the Frog and decided that rather than calling it Rapunzel and making it another princess movie, they would call it Tangled and make it appeal to boys a little more. Um, sure, whatever. Uh, it, originally, this was directed by Glenn Keane who was the animate, key animator on Tarzan, on The Beast, and Beauty and the Beast, and several other characters too, too numerous to name. Uh, he worked on this film for years, years and years and years. It was uh, going to be his first foray into computer animation, and it, it ended up being computer animated. But Keen uh, got ill, and frankly, uh, the project had been working for so long, Disney needed to turn it over to some folks to make something out of the movie. So they turned it over to uh, the directorial team behind Bolt, which was Nathan Greno and Byron Howard. They took over the movie. King, once he got well again, was able to come back and have a lot of input into the movie, but we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, the voice cast in this movie was uh, Mandy Moore, plays Rapunzel, Zachary Levi, who you all know from Chuck, uh, plays the, the roguish hero, Zach, uh, Zachary Levi plays Flynn Rider, and uh, Donna Murphy as Mother Gothel, who's, I guess you would call her the villain of the piece. Uh, the, I don't know, that's something we can discuss. I'm not entirely sure she's the, a, a villain in the classic sense. But uh, the basics in this, and, and Todd, I think you mentioned you know the fairy tales. I don't know the fairy tale of Rapunzel, but the way the movie lays out, I think, is different. Is, is, it, is it not? Um, it's actually... There are so many elements of the actual grim fairy tale in here. It's actually remarkable. They change a little bit, but um, uh, let me just tell the tale, okay? All right, everybody, it, get your hot cocoa. That's right. Back. Uncle Todd's going to tell the story. A little warm cookies, you know, that's great. Um, okay, so what happens is, is there's a man and a woman, and I don't their name I don't think is actually really important here. It's not a king and a queen. That's, that's a difference. Um, they live next door to this old lady whose name is Mother Gothel and she has a garden and the lady is pregnant okay and um, this is very interesting because this is the origin of something which I'll get back to in a minute um, she has um, a craving for something she sees in the garden now it's sometimes when you read newer versions of the tales this is vegetables but in the original version it's a flower okay and that flower is the rampion Okay, and the Rampion is actually the Rapunzel flower, which is where the name comes from. Okay, well, the man goes into the garden to get his wife what she wants. Okay, and she, he gets the flower and he picks it, and the Mother Gothel comes out and she says, You picked my flower, blah, blah, blah. She goes into this whole thing, and she says, Because of this, I am taking your firstborn, without question. Like, that's, that's it. And he's like, Okay. And he goes back home, gives his wife the the food, the flower, and one thing leads to another, and the baby's born. It's a girl. Takes the mother Gothel takes the girl, um, and mother Gothel incidentally stand is uh, German for godmother, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Um, the other thing is important there is, did you catch that? That's actually the origin of uh, pregnancy cravings, right? It's pr giving the woman what she wants when she's pregnant. So. Um, let me just condense the story a little bit. The Mother Gothel sticks her in the tower just like in the book. Um, lots of things are there in the story. Like, for example, the hook is like they always mention – when you read the Grimm's Fairy Tale, they always mention the hook that the hare has to get hooked on the hook, and then Mother Gothel can climb up into the tower in the actual fairy tale. And um, it's not – obviously, it's not a roguish thief. It's actually a prince, and the prince comes by, and he comes up, and he and Rapunzel make a plan to get her out of the tower. Uh, one thing leads to another, and um, Mother Gothel attacks the prince, pushes him out. He falls face first into thorns and is blinded and wanders mm. the countryside. He's unable to find the tower. He's unable to find Rapunzel or anything. I don't know why he can still hear, but you know, he can't find anyone, so he, he wanders the countryside. She, Rapunzel gets upset and pushes Mother Gothel out. She dies. Okay, so there, again, you can see there are elements that are still in both. And one thing leads to another, and Rapunzel finds the prince, and he's 
still blind. He's starving and et cetera, et cetera. And she cries on him and the tears fall into his eyes and they restore his sight. And then they live happily ever after. Okay. Yeah, so it is it is pretty similar then. I mean, because the, the, basic, the basic outline of the movie is pretty similar to what you were just saying. It's, it's uh, Rapunzel is the daughter of the king and queen, but the queen gets sick while she's, um, while she's pregnant, and this flower is needed to heal her. Uh, but Mother Gothel had been using the flower to keep herself young, so when the, the king's men pick the flower, you know, she no longer has that ability, but some of those properties are then invested in Rapunzel, and Mother Gothel kidnaps Rapunzel, and hilarity ensues. So it goes from there, you know. Um, and then Flynn Rider, who's the roguish thief there, who, who is basically Han Solo. Let's, let's just admit that right here, right now. Yeah. <laughs> you do have a point. I mean, okay, he's on the run because he stole something, and the guys that he was collaborating with in the stealing are trying to get him back throughout the entire movie, and he falls in love with the princess. Okay? Han Solo. I think Han Solo couldn't do the smolder look, though. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. Harrison Ford is going to be at your door upset with you very soon, Bree. I, I know. I know. I should be scared. You should. Although he's he's old enough now that you could probably just like move really quickly and you'd get away from him. But yeah, I'm shifty, so I probably could. Yeah, there you go. Um, but anyway, the 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 Han Solo esque Flynn Rider uh, stumbles upon the tower, and you know, she asks him to go take her to see this wonderful sight of these lanterns that the king and queen put up every year on her birthday, hoping that they can find her. I'm not really sure how the lanterns mean they're going to be able to find her, but whatever. Um, and so they, t she and he leave the tower and go to find the lanterns and, uh, Mother Gothel tries to get her back. That's the, the basics of the story. But I mean, the ending comes out a lot similar to what, what Todd said, but we can get to that in a minute. But so that's pretty interesting. I mean, it actually is, uh, pretty close to, to the original, um, the original way things were, but I know, I mean, it's, it's interesting because this is the second movie that Dis from Disney animation in the computer genre where these guys, Grano and Howard, have had to come in and kind of take over a, a film that's been in development for years and not been able to do anything. And, like, Glenn Keane running this movie, it still has that almost, almost that hand-drawn look to it, even though it's computer animated. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. I know you were talking about that. We were talking about that earlier, Todd. Oh well, so um, Keen had this um, had this vision about computer graphics. He wasn't really happy with what he was seeing, which is like pretty much everybody's opinion. It just wasn't cutting it in terms of hand drawn animation, and he wanted to change the game a little bit. His whole idea was to take um, what let rather than let the computer graphics just fly and do their thing, like what you see in a Pixar movie where they kind of just drop all the target targets and say this thing moves from here to here everything gets ray traced gets overlaid and boom it's done he wanted the the artist to still be able to drive what was being seen with their hand and stuff so he had this whole new concept developed just for purposes of this movie and its needs um one of the things he did was he pulled his daughter claire on who's she's been done um, a few other things before in the past she's just got this artistry going on and if you look her actual artwork is what you see all over the tower and her feeling was that if there's actually um and this is something i'll have to go back when it gets when we get it on dvd and look at but the uh apparently the bottom part of the tower is when she was younger so the work is less refined it's more childish and as you move up the t tower towards the top it becomes it grows with her age-wise so i you know, I kind of sort of can picture in my head, but because I haven't seen the movie in, you know, yesterday, you know what I'm saying? It's, I'm going to have to see it again to be 100% sure, but it's, uh, it's really neat. Um, she's, you know, so there was a father-daughter thing going on there, and she did it all. She designed all the costumes for Rapunzel in the movie because she has prior experience in clothing work, in uh, animated movies and stuff like that. So that's, um, that's really all I got there. No, you're right, though, because it's interesting. There is a lot of detail in the movie. That was one of the things I noticed um, 
like especially for me i i didn't i read the same thing i think you probably read about the the uh the paintings and how they age with her as you go up the top of the tower but the the, the part that really struck me was like when she first leaves the tower and she's about to set foot on on ground for the first time like you expect to see the grass right you expect that but you know each blade of grass is kind of blowing in the wind a little bit but like you even see you know the rocks and the and the, there's a couple flowers in the in the corner and there's a weed over in the left hand corner it's it's just like there's so much detail just in that one shot i mean really all they had to have was the grass right Right, but, but they've got they've got wildflowers and it's overgrown and the grass is uneven and it's blowing different directions. I I remember it's pretty impressive. Yeah, and it's not something that you would just automatically like I said, all they had to have was the grass because like, you know, 90% of the people watching the movie, they're not going to care. They're more focused on the foot and not what it's about to step on, but it's just there was definitely an attention to detail that you don't see in a lot of computer animated films. I mean, maybe in the Pixar films, but not in something like, you know, a DreamWorks film or some of the other films that, you know, the computer animated films that are come out like once a week these days. Um, I think Disney did that perfectly, too. The, just the reaction on Rapunzel's face as her foot touched the grass, you were excited with her because she was finally getting out there to experience life by herself. Her hair is also, um, it's really interesting. Um, first of all, they only originally envisioned it being 30 feet of hair, roughly. But what they did was when they decided that they wanted to make the tower taller, they decided her hair had to get longer, right? Because her, because her hair has to be able to reach the ground. Right. So su she's, suddenly she's got 70 feet of hair. Um, oh, wow. It's actually, it's, it's actually also interesting because they put so much in, into the texture. When, you, when you're looking at it, okay, they claim – I don't know, you know how they count this, but that's a different story – they, you, you can – if you sat there and counted, they say you could see 140,000 strands of hair Okay, in her hair as it's like when she's going down the tower and all those scenes where it's like really far draped out behind her like when she's walking into the city. Um, but it's only when they, when they design it and when they move it around and let it come to life a little bit, there's only actually 173 points that they have to touch in the 70 feet of hair. Which yeah, is still, only 173. That's nothing. Right. It's still an yeah. incredible amount. It, it, it's actually um, amazing So when you think about the whole thing. And they describe them as uh, tubes, and it, it gets very detailed, and I don't want to like bore people with it or anything. But it, it, it's amazing when you think about all the effort that can go into something just like hair. Just to get it to flow. And if you look at, like, I love watching, I, I came home afterwards, and there were certain scenes that I went back to find in the previews to watch over and over again. And one of them is that scene where, where he's, he's climbing out the tower with, back with his arrows, Flynn, and suddenly she comes swooping down on her hair right past him, basically. And that, it, that whole scene is very funny because her hair is just all drapey and flowy, and it's, it's just wild to watch her hair. It's amazing, really. Yeah, I mean, it's very technically proficient. I expect when we get the Blu-ray or the DVD, Todd, I expect you to actually count all 140,000 strands and report back to us. Yes, please I, do. I, I will, and I'll do it. tell you about it on my deathbed. <laughs> <laughs> it might take that long. <laughs> but, I mean, honestly, um, you know, I, I saw the movie the day it came out on, I guess it was the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And the first... I'd say, I mean, I guess the first hour of the movie, I, I thought, well, this is pretty good, it, but it's not, you know, at, at that from for the first hour or so, I was like, you know, it didn't really, it didn't speak to me the way like Princess and the Frog did, and and I know I'm I'm somewhat in the minority on that one because I just have this affinity for the city of New Orleans. I've been there a few times, so that one I really was was into and thought it was great almost throughout. And this one, I thought, you know, it's kind of paint by numbers almost up until, you know, about an hour through the movie. Like I said, you know, Flynn Rider's Han Solo. It wasn't like this was a character that I was sitting here and saying, oh, this is a very unique kind of person. And, you know, Rapunzel is a, is a princess and you kind of expected her character and everything. But there was a point at which that changed for me. And it was... So the whole goal that Rapunzel set out for herself is to see this these lanterns that the king and queen light to to make sure that 
you know, they can find her. Which, again, I don't understand how they send the lanterns out and what that means as far as finding her. I never did understand that part of the movie, but it does, it's not really important. It's more of, like, a symbolic thing, I guess. The lantern scene. Um, yeah, I, I, I get what you're talking about, Ryan. It's It's kind of out of the blue. So where did the lanterns come from, and how did they... Uh, acquire so many and how do they send them in the sky yeah i just didn't understand like okay so we're gonna send these lanterns up in the sky and that means we're gonna find our lost daughter like i think i guess it's a symbolic thing right we lost right. our daughter so here's the thing so so you know i'm not really spending too much time on that that was just the thing that bothered me when i uh, afterwards but but that's i'm off my point um the original reason why i thought that scene was so good is you know, this is the thing she's been looking forward to her whole life. So you would expect the way this movie had gone to that point that, you know, they would sit in that boat and they would see the lantern show and it would just be amazing and it would fulfill all of her dreams and da 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 da. But that's not what happens. It is. I mean, you know, she fulfills all of her dreams and she starts falling in love with him and vice versa. But there's a moment that's right before that that I thought that's this is where this movie becomes great because they've understood the character so well in that she takes a second and she expresses to him to, to Flynn that, you know, what happens now? Like, I'm going to see this that I've waited to see my whole life. And what happens next is yeah. if, if I'm let down by this, then I, I, everything that I've thought about is so wrong or, if I see it and it's everything I'd hoped it was, what's next in my life? And that was when I went, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I believe she even said that she was scared right before she saw them. Yeah, she did. Yeah. yeah. Well, I thought it was interesting because, you know, earlier you mentioned um, Princess and the Frog. And if you think about it, the message for both princesses was really the same in both movies. Right? Yeah, it's true. I mean, basically, it's it's you know, life isn't necessarily about what you want; it's about what you need. And there they are, both of them presented with what they need right in front of them, and it just takes them a moment of realization. Now, Tiana took an entire movie, and Rapunzel realized it pretty much as soon as she realized that what she wanted wasn't everything, which was right at that moment. Yeah, and even there were—I mean—that way it was foreshadowed, you know, a little earlier when Mother Gothel showed up and and said, you know, you can you can skip out with me or you can stay with him. You think if he gets what he wants, he's going to stay with you. And of course, she, you know, Rapunzel hides the crown from from Flynn, you know. So so I mean, it's it's she was get, catching on before then, but that was the moment where I'm sitting in the movie, and then you know, right after that is the big song. Um, where the two of them realize that the I see the light song where they realize, you know, that they're in love with each other and then the lanterns. And now I saw this in 2d, but Bree, you, you sent me a note after you saw it and you said in 3d that, that, that scene was just phenomenal. I was sitting in the theater crying my eyes out because it was just amazing seeing it. You know, of course, you know, you're sitting there with the big glasses on and you're not knowing what to expect. And all of a sudden this beautiful scene comes on and it feels like no lie. It feels like the lanterns are actually in the theater with you. It's incredible. Yeah. Because it feels like the, they're all around you. And, and when they start singing to each other, it's, it's just such a beautiful scene. Yeah. That, that I can imagine that was the only scene at which when I was seeing it in 2d that I thought, you know what, this might in 3d, this might be really spectacular. You know, the rest of it, I was like, you know, okay, this is, it's just a typical film. But that was a point at which I thought, wow, just like you said, I bet those lanterns are, are just all around you when you're watching this. Yeah, so my other favorite um, scene in 3D, which is really worthwhile seeing it in 3D, would be uh, the scene when they were underwater in the cave. Mm -hmm. um, the scene that led up to that when they were um, kind of, I don't, I don't really know how to describe it, but like, again. Kind of the action the scene there, yeah. Yeah, but with the lanterns feeling like they were all around you, it was kind of like the water was going to be all around you. You know, it was intense in a way. Yeah, no, I thought that scene, that scene, and, and maybe I'm, I'm, I'm the oddball here, but I thought that scene, uh, the scene where they're in the cave and they're the water's rising and about to fill up, I thought was like really excellent at cramming in emotion in a short period of time. But I just thought the buildup to that was kind of, I mean, it was an action scene. It seemed like just for the sake of an action scene almost. I don't know. I, I didn't 
think that was the best part of the movie. I mean, it was it was okay, but it, I just thought it didn't really uh, provide the punch that you would expect from that kind of a scene. Well, there's clearly a moment in there where he's um, he's kind of sort of surfing on the sluice there, and it's um, yes, I actually knew that was called a sluice. Sorry, <laughs> and it's a, it's a Tarzan just... moment, right? They're paying homage to to Tarzan at that point in time where Tarzan skates on the trees. It's the same thing, and that's just like a throwback to people have worked on what movies they worked on prior. Yeah, um, they do it in the beginning of the movie too. There's um, if you look in the tower, right? Um, the tower has a spinning wheel, which is Sleeping Beauty. Um, there's a point where Mother Gothel kind of spins the apple in her hand, which is Snow White. And then um, there's a mannequin for a dress. Remember, she's making like clothes on a mannequin that's very much like the one in um, Cinderella when they're throwing all the stuff around. The, it looks almost exactly like the same mannequin in Cinderella. Oh, so okay. it's it, there. There, I have a feeling there are probably more to other movies throughout it, but those are like really the only ones that. I've seen people catch so far. So, well, after you finish counting the 140,000 strands of hair, then I'm on it. The Easter eggs. All right, thank I'm you. on it. But you must you must use the word sluice. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I'm impressed that you knew the word sluice, Todd. I'm impressed that it came up at that particular instant. So there you go. Anytime you can do, anytime you can do a show and include the word sluice, I say it's a success. That's right. my personal opinion. So congratulations, we're gonna, we're gonna Todd. Learn a new word each podcast by Todd. We, exactly. <laughs> Vocabulary by Todd. That's the new name of this show. There we go. All right. Um, so the other thing is, the, the, you know, the characters. I thought we talked about Flynn a little bit. Like again, I, I, the more the more I've thought about it, the more I'm like, you know, this guy's like Han Solo. Just and I've said it already, but so I won't repeat it. Uh, although I just did. Uh, but Rapunzel, I thought was 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 a fantastic character because. She she's through and through a princess, right? But you know, I said before that the moment I thought the movie kind of went from good to great was that moment there in the boat. But you know, after watching it and remembering back, there's there's other moments in there where you see her act a little differently than you would expect. So like when she first gets out of the tower, that montage where it cuts back from her how thrilled she is of getting out of the tower to what an awful person she is because she's betrayed her mother who told her not to leave the tower ever. And it was like four and five back and forth sequences. I thought, wow, that's not something you would have normally expected. And that adds so much of a depth to her character. I thought that was excellent. Yeah. I think they were kind of trying to do it as a little bit of comic play, but I I agree. It did kind of build her character a little bit at that point where he, and and Flynn's reaction to it is like funny. He's like, why am I here? What am I yeah. doing? What am I got myself into? And every, I mean, he's got like twenty different looks for that same statement, which is fantastic. My one of my favorite scenes was was when um, he first arrived at the tower, and she was trying to shove him into the the uh, the closet there. The oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, when she's trying to shove him in and he's falling all over the place. Oh, uh, when he when he face plants. I mean, how? I mean, you just you can't help but go. Oh, when, when that even, It's a cartoon character, and you still can't help it because it's just you imagine the pain. Yeah. And he's out cold. He doesn't know. I was talking on the phone the other day to Amy, and um, she was saying how how funny it would be if. Um, or no, not how funny. She was saying how awful it would be if Disney actually reversed that and he had actually received brain damage because of that. Because that's what would have actually happened. <laughs> well, he, after, he, after he, also, his face was still perfect, right? Exactly. That's another thing she was saying. Why was his face so perfect when he kept repeatedly getting smacked? Yeah, you yeah. don't need it, but you don't need the bruised prince. The bruised hero doesn't exactly come off very well. <laughs> no, no I, it doesn't. I completely yeah. agree. Although it would have been funny, it would have been very funny if he had walked through the entire movie with his face swollen up and bruised and nasty. That would have been kind of amusing. I have a to admit. Yeah, and yeah, definitely. Yeah, you're right, Todd. It would have been a whole different movie at that point. <laughs> um, but so, I mean, Rapunzel, I thought had a had a very nice depth to her in that she was conflicted and and very you know at war with herself the entire time so i mean she would vary from this really fragile character to you know a really strong character you know as far as like her her aggressiveness towards other people and it it was really nice how how she had that dichotomy within her it was a lot more depth than than most of the other princesses that you would see um but 
her her mother, Mother Gothel, like I said at the beginning, she's not a typical villain because yes, she's doing something villainous, but she is actually somewhat looking out for Rapunzel too. Because there are other people in the world who are going to want to steal Rapunzel's power. Now, the fact that she's hoarding it for herself, sure, there's that. But it's it's kind of an interesting thing. I mean, you know, I thought she was I thought she was very intriguing and very well done. I thought I thought, you know, she if you look back on it, she's probably on screen for maybe 15 minutes of the movie. Like, maybe. But she makes such a huge impact in that 15 minutes. Her uh, her song there was pretty scary. I thought I, it kind of was a little. I mean, it, it it made me think that wow, kids are sitting in the theater watching this, and I'm wondering how they're reacting to this. And but the kids next to me, you know, we were there with the Nop kids, and they seemed to be into it. I mean, I, maybe I just reacted more strongly to the whole dancing in and out of the dark thing, and you know, when she's like painting blood on the floor, wasn't blood, but you know, it's like an eerie, scary face on the floor, things like that. So, no. yeah, Mother Gothel was definitely an uh, an intimidating creature. I mean, I found myself frightened every time she appeared on screen. You know, um, of course, obviously not as intimidating as villains such as Ursula or Maleficent, but you know, she she was her own her own creature in her own monstrous way. See, that's interesting because I didn't find her like frightening at all. I thought I thought she was just like she was like a normal passive aggressive mom you know what i mean like we all know moms who are like that and that i thought that was hilarious like that okay maybe i come from a more dysfunctional family than you guys but (laughs) don't you don't you know surely you have had a friend's mom who who does the stuff that mother gothel was doing not the kidnapping and all that sort of thing but you know when she goes to visit uh rapunzel in the tower and she's saying oh look it's a charming beautiful young woman no look you're here too Come on. <laughs> I, I thought that was just more her first you know she was um she was full of herself and she didn't really to rapunzel's face she would tell rapunzel oh i love you oh you're my daughter you know blah 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 you know i know what's best for you but the truth was is it is it was about what was best for her it wasn't you're, you're right Bri, it wasn't um a grand um villain like you've seen in other movies but she was uh, villainous in the fact that because her selfishness had taken her so far beyond the norm, and she right. was probably a little crazy. I mean, she'd what by the by the way the story read, she had to be a few hundred years old at that point. I can't imagine you can live that long and not go a little wonky. True. <laughs> Is that the technical term for it? I will go with wonky. Yes. Wonky. Wonky. Yeah. And yet another word to our vocabulary. Yes, well, if we ever encounter a wonky sluice, we'll be in trouble. Yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. Perhaps we should change the name to the Wonky Sluice Podcast. That would actually be, be, be kind of nice, too. I like that. Wonky yeah, sluice. Wonky Sluice. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I really liked her character. I just, I don't know. I, I have met that mom, you know what I mean, that, that, does, that talks to their, their daughter that way, like the backhanded compliments and all that kind of stuff. So I just thought, I mean, and... You know, she doesn't turn viciously evil until the very end where she kind of uh, works with the the crazy guys who are chasing Flynn and sends him away and makes makes Rapunzel think that he's just left her. Um, I mean, that's the evil, evil part that she does. Uh, but, you know, up until that point, it's like she's she's trying to look out for Rapunzel and herself at the same time. So I don't know. I thought she was I thought she was a great villain in that her villainy was very subtle if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So, so villainous. Yeah, yeah, it's, like I said, I mean, I think that it was her personality shining, you know, coming through differently, because, you know, like Ursula is a great example, right? Ursula just is a villain, but her personality is not villainous, right? She's got She's got a different – she's more agenda-driven, right? And this lady is just – she's she's so selfish that it's redefined her into a villain as opposed to her starting out a villain, which is how I envision someone like Ursula. Yeah, yeah no, that's a good point. Yeah, Mother Gothel is more like maybe Flotsam and Jetsam than Ursula. 
the other thing we should talk about though is the, the songs in this one. Alan Menken is is back with Disney for for the first time in a while, uh, working on a, on, a, on a Disney animated film. And I thought the songs were were pretty catchy, pretty nice. I didn't feel like there was one that I was going to take home and just be like, you know, singing this ten years from now. Like the impression I got when I first watched Beauty and the Beast, it was like every song I wanted that soundtrack immediately. Uh, these were good, and they added to the story, but I didn't feel like it was as integrated or as part of the story as, as in some of the other films that Menken's worked on with Disney, for sure. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I think the only truly impactful song was I See the Light. Yeah. That, yeah. And I think, Todd, you, you had, had said something previously that you think that might be an, uh, a nominee for an award. Oh, it's not just an nominee for an award. I think it's... Um... Is it well? Maybe it is a nominee. The Dis, there are, Disney has um, listed on their awards page. Either they've already gotten an award for it. I was I was unclear on that because I was trying to figure out how this page actually worked. But in the music category, um, their list that song's listed as a best original song. I see the light. It's listed there. So interesting. And I think they they already. I think they already gave out. Maybe it's in just internal uh, some kind of. I don't. I don't know. It's just they have Walt Disney Studio has. A, if you go to WaltDisneyStudioAwards.com, and that's studios with an S on the end of it, um, Tangled is, has all these um, things that it's up for. And maybe it's either they've already won them or they're up for them. That's the, that's the part that the page doesn't say that. Um, or maybe you know, they're launching a campaign for it. That may be. I, you're right because they, when you do the Academy Awards, you do have to campaign and get people to be on your side in order to nominate you. If there's like a pre-nomination stage, and maybe you're right. Maybe that's what this is for. But they've got um, Nathan Greena and Brian Howard as Best Anime Feature, Best Director, um, Dan Fogelman as uh, Best Original Screenplay, Tim Mertens as Best Film Editing, Best Art Direction, David Goetz, uh, Best Sound Mixing, uh, David F- or Dean's Cupansic. Uh, I apologize for that. Um, <laughs> then dialogue. They list dialogue mixers, um, the supervising sound editor, um, visual effects supervisor, effects supervisor, best original score, Alan Menken, best original song. I see the light. Yeah, it so. sounds like it sounds like the page that they put up for for Academy voters and things to to campaign to get a, to get a nomination. That so that may be what it is. I just kind of stumbled across it. So and it doesn't. <laughs> You know, because it kind of, it's they just just a tangled page there, photos, accolades, that kind of stuff. It's kind of neat. Cool. Yeah, it's like a behind mean, the scenes, man. And yeah. Ryan, yeah. I'm gonna interrupt here and say um, that he was also. I did some IMDb search on him, and he was also part of Enchanted, and then he has another one coming up called The Snow Queen in 2012. So he has been working for Disney, but apparently he's been in the background. Interesting. Hmm. Okay. I didn't, yeah, I, yeah, I didn't know he did enchant. Well, I, I guess I probably did. I just forgot. Yeah, we'll yeah. have to. Um, we'll have to do Enchanted someday too, because that's a. There's a lot about that movie. That's great. That's a wonderful film. But yeah, we love it. <laughs> um, but really, I mean, I, I agree, right? There's, there's, I don't, you know, I, I have the soundtrack listed up in front of me, and really, all those, all the side songs have names. I don't remember any of them other than the three songs that actually had words, right? Right. <laughs> and that's that's interesting because like if if I listen to Incredibles, right, I know all the music. You know, as an example, you know that's. But here, I don't remember anything other than the three songs that have words, and they're good songs. Don't get me wrong; it's just weird because it's the rest must have been so low key that I just didn't notice it. Yeah, they're not memorable like the entire soundtrack of Beauty and the Beast or The Little Mermaid or something right. like that. Or Aladdin. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, I can say I, – I would say like when, when I was listening to I See the Light, I'm like I can see this being used in like a fireworks show at Disney World or something like that. Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. You know? Um, they could incorporate that into Wishes easily. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm waiting for the day when we have a Magic Lantern show because I think that would be awesome. But Oh, that would. That would. But I, I know, Bree, one of the other things you liked, your favorite character was not one that we've mentioned so far. Yay! Okay, so Maximus. <clears throat> the white horse, the special white horse. Um, he, 
I read an interview online with one of the animators of this film, and they said that they worked the hardest on Maximus because he does not speak throughout the film. So they had to give him so much um, of a human spirit with through the eyes and through uh, the emotions and everything. And I think that's what touched my heart about him most, too, was that he had an attitude. He, had a he was a horse with spunk, you know? <laughs> But he had a big heart, too. Todd, stop laughing at me. He had a <laughs> but was he a wonky sluice? That's the real question. You know what? Maximus was indeed a wonky sluice. He was. That's the problem, then. <laughs> that scene, when those, when those uh, big guys from, from the Duckling, when they, they catapulted him through the air and he landed on, on Maximus. I'm talking yeah. about Flint now. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> When Flynn landed on Maximus and the look on his face when he looked up at Flynn and then he says, oh, I think this is going to be the beginning of a beautiful friendship. And then all of a sudden Maximus's face just drops. Yeah. And, and then, you know, that he's like, OK, let's just get this over with and just go save Rapunzel, please. You know, <laughs> That's a great scene. Well, I read something that where they said they basically they kind of gave him the characteristics almost of a dog. And it, yeah, I mean, you definitely saw that, like when he's trying to play the bloodhound and sniff out where Flynn is and all that kind of stuff. So it was kind of cool. They get they really amped up his personality and gave him a little, you know, well, a lot of non horse like characteristics. And, and he was he was the main comic relief in the movie, and I think like really well done too. I, yeah. I actually he he was my favorite character in the entire movie, to be honest. Um, Todd, I, see, yay. See, I, I can't, I can't. I mean, it's. You have to look at the effort, like you said, that was put into doing this, and here you have this creature who is is not just – he's not just a horse. I mean like I think I wrote that he was here, part bloodhound, brave and sure, right? I mean there's, there's, there's no question. I mean he's, he's amazing. He can do – Maximus can do anything. That's near as I could tell because somehow if you think about the escape scene that you were talking about, somehow yeah. Maximus – knew something happened to Rapunzel, knew he needed to rescue Flynn, went to the snuggly duckling, managed to convince all the guys there to come with him <laughs> and yep. help and help Flynn escape. And then and, and he organized that whole thing. That is the most amazing horse in the universe. Well it's right? kinda epic too when he walks into the ugly duckling and he just like pushes the guys aside when he walks in. That's right. <laughs> I am here, I rock, and this is what I'm gonna do. You know, that's basically what he says. <laughs> yeah, without speaking, no less. Exactly. So you gotta, you gotta give huge credit to the animators on that one. All about the eyes. All about the eyes. And since oh, we're yes. talking about not speaking parts, we're also going to talk about the um, Pascal. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Well, Pascal's um, Pascal's actually interesting because Pascal's a chameleon, right? And he starts off the movie with. Um, with Rapunzel, he's kind of sort of uh, playing with her, like her sidekick in the beginning. I, I don't know how else to describe her, uh, him. Actually, I'm not sure if Rapunzel was a guy or a girl, though, based on the You're reaction. You're not sure if Rapunzel was a guy or a girl? I'm sorry, sorry. Pascal. I think you watched the wrong movie, Todd. <laughs> Pascal. Uh, but let's just say Pascal was a guy based on his on his protective nature towards Rapunzel. That's what Actually, I will go you know what? I'm sorry to, just to butt in here, but Pascal was kind of, if you want to say, the Raja to to Rapunzel's Jasmine, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay, that's Actually, fair, right? I'm just yeah. yeah. But here's 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 the interesting thing, right? Is um, Pascal similarly to Maximus, though not on the level of Maximus, has um, he's all about eyes and um, movement in order to convey his feelings, like that whole scene where where they're kind of interrogating Flynn in the tower at the beginning, right? That's that's the key scene. He, you know, the first of all, they're playing games with him, like the tongue in the ear thing, right? Because that's he's giving him what willies, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, you know, he, he, she looks at him at one point, right? And he pounds his fist, right? Because you know, saying, you know, don't listen to him, just hit him, <laughs> just put him out of his misery. <laughs> and it, it's very funny. But here's the interesting thing: Did you notice that by the end of the movie, you don't really see Pascal all that much? Yeah, As, I was. That's what I was going to say when you first brought him up. Is like he he's so important to her when they're in the tower, and like slowly after they leave, it's all of a sudden he's and yeah, and he's gone. She yeah. played well. That's why I think Pascal was a re representation of what she needed. She was very shy and very timid in the beginning, right? And 
by the end of the movie, she's not anymore. But in the beginning, Pascal was her bravery and her confidence that she herself didn't have. And as she got more confidence, the need lessened. You know, he he was still there, but he didn't pay, play a role as much. You know, he's just kind of sort of hiding in her hair by the end of the movie. Dude, you just blew my mind. Yeah, thank you. That's I don't think you're right. You're absolutely right. I, I I had not caught that, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, because he's he's at the beginning, you know, obviously she's alone in this tower. He's the person that she talks to. By the end, she no longer needs him because she's got Flynn Solo. So... <laughs> I'm not like, no. I, I um, just have a question. Does this does that does that make the snuggly duckling Moss Eisley? I'm just yeah. Under. I'm, <laughs> huh. I have to leave now. No. And Maximus is Luke Skywalker. So eventually, in the sequel, he'll end up being better than everyone. No else. comparisons to my horse. Thank you very much. <laughs> it, wait, is is Hookhand Chewbacca? <laughs> I don't know. You make your own interpretation. Star Wars versus Tangled. Discuss. Uh, That's a whole other show in itself. Yeah, you're right. And that would be in the non-Wonky Sleuth show. Yeah. Now, I would like to make mention um, of the frying pan. Um, <laughs> of course. <laughs> the frying Every pan. going to have one. Thank you, Cheryl. Yes. It's a very important part of the film because I think every woman needs to invest in a good, solid, non-stick frying pan. It's a very good weapon. And, I mean, <laughs> Rapunzel's use of it throughout that, that whole first, first half of the movie was just epic. And, and the way that, that Flynn is, is carrying it under his arm. I think he forgot he had it for a while. Because, you know... <laughs> Right? I love that line he comes up with too. Is after he after he's fighting with it, he's dueling with it. He goes, "I gotta get me one of these." Exactly. <laughs> and that's just a fantastic line. <laughs> exactly. Like who would have thunk it? You know, a, a frying pan. But yeah, I, I yeah, I think there's Disney's trying to to say too. If you have to do violence, do it with a frying pan. Absolutely. I mean, I think that really is the true message of this movie. I really do. Yeah. It's As all about. Yeah, all about the frying pan, absolutely. It's As a native southerner, though, I have to say, I'm, I'm really excited Disney is, is bringing back quality cast iron cookware because I, th I think that art has been lost. And, you know, my, my grandmother used to make stuff in, in the cast iron skillet all the time. And I really think if we could just bring that back, that would really help me out a lot. So I, I, I really applaud you. I, I think we've turned this into the Tangled Comedic uh, podcast tonight. <laughs> so. <laughs> So speaking of comedy, yes, uh, let's let's discuss the Snuggly Duckling, which is probably one of the most uniquely funny scenes in the entire movie when you really think about it. I mean, they go – he's trying to – Flynn and Rapunzel enter the bar because Flynn's whole plan is that he just wants to get rid of this girl at the, at, when he's first got her. And so he says, well, maybe if I scare her off, she'll just give it back to me and go home and run home. So that's what he gets in his mind. And he doesn't actually say that, but that's kind of how I interpreted it his thoughts at that moment. So he takes her to this place called the Snuggly Duckling, which is just like a crazy name for what's inside. Because when they open it up, it is, like I said earlier, just like Maz Eisley, a wretched hive of scum and villainy. At least that's what it appears to be. Um, one thing leads to another. They start to beat up um, Flynn, because Flynn's opened his mouth and stuck his foot in it, which he's very good at. And uh, suddenly Rapunzel says, you know, says, stop, you know, and she goes this whole thing and she says, you can't hurt him. I need him, you know, and then she goes, don't you have a dream? And then everything about the snuggly duckling changes. <laughs> it's like this, you know, it kind of goes eh, eh, around a 90 degree turn and it's it's amazing. And they break into this song, which is actually the most creative song in the movie. It's not it's not like a sweeping like, you know. Uh, piece like you get in Beauty of the Beast, or which is what I believe that um, the other two songs, you know, while when will my life begin and I see the light, tried to do. They're great songs, like we said earlier, but they're not as sweeping. But this one, it took comedy and worked it into something that was like really fun to watch. It's you you see guys with oven mitts and stuff like that and baking, <laughs> and I thought that what I thought was interesting about it is it reminded me of. Um, the song from um, I'm trying I can't remember the name of it, but from High School Musical, 
um, where they where the kids not are all stuck. Not where I thought you was going with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, not. I, I I'm sorry, but if you think about it, the same thing happens in High School Musical, right? Is the kids are all there, and suddenly the kids are because Gabrielle's shown up at the school. <laughs> Bree's um, taking the fifth on this one. I don't think she's seen High School Musical. I'm sorry to hear, I'm sorry to say that. Well, you know, it's a thing. I watch Disney Channel a lot. Um, wait, wait. I have to get to the bottom of this. So, have you really not seen High School Musical? Me? Yeah, you. Oh yes, I have. I just don't care for it. Really? Okay. Okay, we're gonna do a show on that because because I think oh. you'll find that that's not the case. Okay. I'm sorry, Todd. To this call. Sorry, Todd. Go ahead. So the the song is called "Stick to the Status Quo." And um, it's, yes. it's the same thing is going on, right? It's suddenly you, you, you think you're seeing one thing. You're seeing these guys. They have hook hands. They have axes. They have people's teeth wearing around their necks. And suddenly they're dancing. They're doing mime. One of them is a mime, which is very, very funny because he's like, you know, like this the whole time. <laughs> Did you like that? <laughs> and um, – <laughs> And like I said, the guy's got the big horns on his head, and he and he pulls out oven mitts, and he's baking muffins. And it's the same concept as in High School Musical with Stick to the Status Quo is the kids are coming – are saying, yes, I'm in high school, but this is what I really – this is my passion. This is what I want to do when I become someone. You know? Right. And, and it, it's interesting because that's the point of bonding, and suddenly Flynn – like his his brain must have like – become he must have gone like insane <laughs> insane at that moment because if you th- if you think about it he suddenly he walked in thinking that he, Rapunzel would be scared off and Rapunzel has now made f- friends with it, these lunatics and villains and stuff and it helps them out later on can no, i just ask it's great question? yeah sure i'm just wondering did anyone else find that little man cupid thing flying through the air to be disturbing <laughs> yes i was kind of avoiding talking about him <laughs> It was, disturb- it was disturbing, but funny. <laughs> no, very funny. I mean, Disney is, of course, genius all the time. And then to come up with that and then toward the end, bringing him back, that was great. But, um, yeah, the part where he flies through the air Cupid style, I, I was a little bit scared. Like, more so than Mother Gothel was scared. That, see, Mother Gothel wasn't all that scary compared to the old dude in diapers. Okay. <laughs> True. Right? I guess I guess we'll we'll agree on that point. So so Todd, I, I your stick to the status quo point is very good because that that is almost exactly the same sort of thing. It's like all these people talking about what they want out of life. I actually was going to a different movie, a non Disney movie, because what it reminded me of was the Camelot scene in Monty Python and the Holy Grail, where you go and see all these rough rough and tumble nights, and then all of a sudden they start breaking out into show tunes. Yes, that is what it reminded me of. I could start singing the song, but I'm not going to. But that's what it reminded me of because it was it was very much the same sort of a setup, right? It was a comedic setup of you go in and you see these, you know, this dark castle-like setting, and all of a sudden the knights start break, knights of Camelot start breaking into a, a song and dance routine, and that's what this was like. Only I like I liked your point on the stick to the status quo. That's fair. That, I didn't think of that, but that, you're right. Interesting, interesting. And we're gonna make Brie like High School Musical at some point during this whole endeavor. I guess I'm, I'm a little bit frightened, as much as the man in the diapers. I'm frightened. <laughs> Are you frightened by the man in the diapers, or as much as the man in the diapers? Because that's, I'm that's frightened by the man in the diapers. The man in the diapers is not frightened of anything, because he's too drunk to care. You're right. <laughs> that's right. He, he hits on Mother Gothel, let's face it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's, just, he's down to the bottom. <laughs> which, was, which was entertaining, though. It, yes, was. it was. It's quite entertaining, yes. <laughs> so, I mean, I think the only part of the movie we haven't discussed yet is, is the ending itself, where Mother Gothel gets gets Rapunzel back, and Flynn goes and chases her, and comes into the tower, and Mother Gothel stabs him, and he makes the heroic sacrifice of Rapunzel could heal him with her magical hair, however, he cuts it all off. Um, of course, you know, it being a Disney film, he ends up, you know, uh, alive and well after she cr- cries on him, and all ends well, and Maximus has a frying pan, so we're all happy in the end. But I thought the ending itself, uh, you know, that moment, right as he cuts her hair off, I, I got to be honest, I wasn't entirely sure that they were going to let him live. Yeah. I, I would agree. Well, especially in the beginning, too, because he says, this is the story of how I died. And, and you're thinking, oh, wonderful, you know, because you know every Disney movie has death in it. So you're thinking, okay, well, now we know right away who's going to die. But then, you know, to see that ending, and, and it was funny because I was sitting with my mom in the theater, and she predicted it. 
And she, she almost ruined it for me because she says, something's going to happen when she starts crying. I said, thanks, Mom. And sure enough, then the tear lands on him and all is well. <laughs> yeah. But I thought the fact that, you know, like if, in other Disney movies, if something happens to one of the heroes or heroines, you would, you would, you know, you would expect it to, to be fixed pretty quickly. But I thought the fact that they had built up that doubt somewhat, like you said, Brie, with the beginning of this is the story of how I died, uh, you know, it, it, it kind of that's what kind of elevated this movie a little bit for me was that, you know, there really was some doubt as to whether or not they were going to let him live. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I wasn't expecting him to just cut the hair off like that either. I, it was just very, it yeah. was well-timed because really he's like, you think he's about to die and he, and he does, but he cuts the hair first and there's gotta be a lot of energy to cut that much hair all at once. <laughs> if you think about it, I mean, yeah, he kind of grabs it and he cuts it and, well, Todd, he's Flynn Rider. I mean, that's you know. right. Well, did know? he shoot first, though? I don't know. <laughs> I, he might have, but uh, you gotta admit, sawing through one hundred and forty thousand individual strands of hair that that could not have been easy, and he just did it in one fell swoop. So, I mean, yeah, the guy's got some, it's got some like forearm strength. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, just to, to cut through it like that. Exactly. Well, remember he climbed up the thing with just some arrows. Good point. I mean, yeah. So it's it's there. Saying, it's like he's got like Popeye arms or something. That you just really because he must eat his spinach. Yeah. Yeah. On a more serious note, though, uh, like right before he quote unquote dies, he says, "You're my dream." That was when I just lost it because I mean, just the way there's just so much emotion in that one line. You know, that was that was pretty great. Yeah, that was that was when I turned over and I saw uh, my wife Sally sitting next to me and. I just started handing her Kleenex. Aw, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was the tearjerker moment. I don't yes. cry at movies for some reason. I don't know why. Hmm. Are you a true a Disney fan, fan, Ryan? Are you a true Disney fan? Are you? Yeah, but I probably have a cold, dark, dark dead soul. So <laughs> that's probably the reason. I, I, I cry at one man's dream if I watch the movie at the end, so it's all... I do, too. I had to. I flew into the bathroom after the show. <laughs> you I flew, did. wow. That was, that's a whole other story, though. We don't need to talk about that. Man in diaper style through the air. I flew. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Okay. All right. So uh, let's let's wrap this puppy up. No, before right. we wrap up, I have some more trivia. Uh oh. <laughs> Ooh, trivia. Okay. All right, lay it on us. Okay, and looking through the movie, I was like. Because they were making fun of Zachary Levi's no the nose on Flynn Ryer a lot. So I'm like, okay, Levi sounds like a Jewish name. Maybe they're making fun of him because he's Jewish. And by go look out and turns out no, he's not Jewish. He just changed his name to Levi. His real last name is Puglesi or something like that. It's, it's, <laughs> it's very it's a very interesting story that you know, someone told him he was never gonna make it with that name, change his name. So so that's that's the trivia part point. And um, the other piece of trivia that um, I also thought interesting was that Todd mentioned that there was a unicorn in, in one of the hall scenes. Oh, oh. yes, yes, yes. Yes, we so um, ooh, ooh, I, I'll, I'll mention. So the unicorn is actually a reference to a movie, um, which is actually like one of the greatest movies of all time, uh, Blade Very Runner. Um, if you remember at the end of Blade – well, okay, so the um, – I can't remember. Gosh, I can't remember um, if you're the old guy. Enough to see Blade Runner, don't, if you're not old enough to see Blade Runner, don't listen to this. No, no, this is nothing. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, <laughs> don't go see. If you're not old enough to see Blade Runner, this is a very valid point, sure. If you're not old enough to see Blade Runner, don't go see it just because of this. Right. That's that's true. Because um, I'm not going to talk about the movie itself, other than that he's a. Let's just say he's a bounty hunter of sorts in the movie. That's Harrison Ford's character. Um, See, it all comes back to Harrison Ford. Han Solo. Right. I'm, I'm just saying. saying. That's right. It is. That's right. So yeah. <laughs> that's a good point. Um, Decker is uh, at the, at the end, he's kind of sort of abandoned his role as the bounty hunter. And he, his, this police guy who has been, who we used to work with, that's now been assigned to tail him um, is, Said, kind of lets him go, and it's, the signal is that this guy, uh, he does this origami all throughout the movie, all these little things. And at the end, when um, Harrison Ford's character Decker comes into the hallway, there's a little unicorn of origami sitting in the hallway, and it's kind of sort of says, you know, you're free now. You know, you can go do what you want. I'm done following you. Do Go live your life. 
And that's what's it's very interesting because that's what's going on here is he's going down the hallway and they've left a little unicorn there and it's that's what it's paying reference to because it's almost the same feeling going down the hallway is there's a lot of turmoil and suddenly the turmoil is let go and the focus exists. Yeah, you mentioned this to me. I didn't catch that when when I first saw the movie and you sent me a note uh, after you saw it and you're like, did you see the Blade Runner reference? I said no and you told me about this. And so I watched Blade Runner and – it is almost shot for shot the same sort of thing when they're walking down the hall and he kind of looks over and sees the unicorn entangled. It is almost the exact same shot as Blade Runner. Right, exactly. I'm going to ask after the podcast what Blade Runner is. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh. One more, one more thing I wanted to bring along because um, we couldn't get the Nop kids here, so <laughs> we would love to have them, I'm sure. Um was the, oh, yeah. that they were they were really, really obsessing over this scene where Mulligopo falls. And they were like, I thought it was pretty weird because it feels like it is really close. Because they, they, I mean, they at point showed a skeleton and then they showed dust. Yeah, you're right. She she dies in a sort of, I mean, not graphic, but it's... Yeah, uh... it was very graphic, I thought. <laughs> Well, again, yeah, you know, it was PG, so you can't, you know. Yeah. In, in, a, no, in, an Obi-Wan, in an Obi-Wan Kenobi sort of way, she just kind of <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Couldn't Todd, resist. You have to the dark side too, Todd? <laughs> it actually, it actually um, a few weeks after I saw Tangled, or not a few weeks, but about a week or so after I saw Tangled, I watched. I had not seen in the theaters the um, uh, A Christmas Carol, the Jim Carrey version that Disney put out, and it actually reminds me of a lot of how the Ghost of Christmas uh, Present dies in that movie. It was very similar the way that the way that Mother Gothel dies, and they're you know they see the skeleton and it blows away, and there's just the robes laying there. The same sort of thing happens in, in the Christmas Carol movie, so it was kind of interesting. I don't know. We're, I think we're, what we've decided tonight is that Tangled is actually just pieces of other movies spliced together. Into yeah. an interesting way. And yeah. with the story. Um, I, I have one last question because there's a lot of controversy on this. Um, is uh, How did you guys feel about the animation, Polly? And I don't mean what we were discussing before with the 3D or the wildflowers. I mean actually the characters, the way they look, how they, how they uh, interact with each other. Because one of the things that I've kind of sort of decided is that this movie, if – you know, 10 years ago, right, Disney – even more, Disney decided they didn't want to do hand-drawn animation anymore, okay? And suddenly they tried to come back to it with Princess and the Frog, but I kind of sort of feel that with this movie, if they told me now that this is how it's going to be and it's only going to get better from here, I would actually be okay if they told me it was done because um, I, I just feel that you know this is, this is the right point, this is the right direction for saying that all hand-drawn animation can go away not that i would i wouldn't want it to go away but if they told me that now i could accept it more because i really feel that these characters they don't look human but they look to me like something that i can tell that they're not um that they're an animated character living in a world that i could accept what they are and i'm not constantly staring at them seeing the edges of them trying to figure out why they look so plasticky um things like that they just yeah i get i, I totally get what you're saying um, I, I don't agree that because I, I, I love hand-drawn animation and I just feel like there's more warmth and, and depth into it. But I, I, I completely understand what you're saying. And in fact, my wife will kill me for saying this, but she, when we left the movie and we were talking about it on the way home, uh, it, it, it was about five minutes into the conversation when I said to her, you know this was like computer animated, right? And she didn't. She thought it was like hand drawn with computer effects on it. Uh. So I, I, to your point, Todd, I think it was a real success as far as making the hand drawn quality come through in computer animation. Cool. Yeah. I, again, I'm not saying get rid of hand drawn animation. I'm just saying like if Disney said, now we're definitely done with it. I would be less protesty about it than I was prior. Yeah, that's that's not what I heard. What I heard was basically you wanted to destroy all pencils. That's what I heard. I don't know. Okay, I, yeah. I, well, I got a pencil sharpener. It needs some using. <laughs> Todd, the destroyer of pencils. Yes. 
Todd the Wonky Sluice, Destroyer of Pencils. <laughs> All right. His new title. Exactly. Let's so let's uh let's wrap this sucker up. All right. So uh, one to five scale. Todd, what do you give Tangled? Um, I'm gonna go with a four. I really was really really happy with the movie. I mean, it's not the most perfect movie ever, but I was really just very 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 happy with the movie. All right, Bree, what do you say? I'm gonna agree with Todd and and say four. I mean, for me, it was not as powerful and beautiful as as I've said before, Beauty and the Beast and The Little Mermaid, but um, which are both fives in my book. But, um, you know, I mean, Zachary Levi and Mandy Moore, they both did such a beautiful job, and uh, the computer animation was just extremely well done. So two thumbs up once again for Disney. I will agree with the two of you and, and go with a four. I, I really think, um, and I've had this conversation at home, but I really feel like with, with Bolt and Princess and the Frog and this, I feel like we've kind of started that upward trend and mm-hmm. I really can't wait to see what's next because like to me, Bolt was kind of like the, you know, the great mouse detective, which is a movie I really liked, but it didn't, you know, it didn't do great in, in the theaters. I really liked Bolt and I thought it was a great movie. Um, you know, it's not a classic, but it's just a good movie. That's and another it, one I haven't seen. Oh, jeez. All right, we're going to have to... Who let her on this podcast? Really, we're going to have to start in, like, alphabetical <laughs> order with her. But yeah. I thought, like, you know, and then, you know, Mermaid, to me, is not a, a five movie. It's a, it's a four. So I feel like that's what this is. This is this is kind of a four to me. Why am I on this podcast? <laughs> yeah, I know, because it's, like, your favorite movie. Um, yes, we asked everyone else, and you are the only one showed up. <laughs> <laughs> nice multi <laughs> Nice. Sorry. Uh, but but the point being, I feel like this is kind of the start of that trend, and I'm really excited to see what happens next. I mean, I've heard that Greno and Howard, you know, they took Bolt over after it was in development, and they took this over was it after it was in development, and now they have they're kind of pitching their own film. I really can't wait to see what that movie is because I think the last two that they've come in and kind of salvaged have been, you know, really well done. Yeah. All right. So that is going to do it for Tangled. Uh, that's our show this week. We hope you enjoyed our look at Tangled. Uh, until the next time you hear us talking about, uh, I believe it will be the Sorcerer's Apprentice, the Jerry Bruckheimer actiony sorcery sort of film. Uh, until then, stay in touch with us on Twitter. We are all on Twitter multiple times a day. Uh, visit us at Disney Film Project. That would be that would be me. Disney Driven Life or touringplans.com. Todd and I are, are both there frequently. Or uh, Adventures of Bree at adventuresofbree.blogspot.com. We are all over the interwebs, so uh, find us and friend us and tweet us and, and just generally love us because that's really why we do this. Uh, if you like the show, tell your friends. Tell about 572,000 other people about the show, and that, that should handle... Uh, all of our needs for the rest of our lives. Or you can leave us a great review on iTunes. Uh, No matter however you spread the word, join us in our admiration of the wide world of Disney films, and we'll see you next week. Bye.